Book Three, Part Five of Susan by Ernest Oldmeadow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Saint Veronique, Part Five. Midnight. I can't sleep. This is altogether too frightful. Fortunately, Susan was perfectly stolid. If she'd been awkward, goodness knows what I might have said or done. I simply told her that we must have a thorough talk once for all in the morning and she went to bed without a murmur susan a mystic susan approaching with exquisite reverence the sacred mystery of love susan in retreat like a saintly nun if i could only laugh and laugh and laugh till i woke up the whole hotel it wouldn't so much matter but i can't even smile reddington is too terribly in earnest and it's my fault some parts of his letter i hate i would never have believed that he could make so outrageously free with my name so long as susan is my maid i call it abominable taste to drag me in like that indeed i hardly see how i can do otherwise than wash my hands of the entire business forthwith but if i do what then if susan is left to concoct a reply and to use a teaspoonful of ink to every page it will be such a shattering bombshell in the golden mist of his dreams and the man on the whole is too likable for me to wound him deeply if i can help it perhaps what i ought to do is to write by the same post as susan and with her full knowledge a frank confession of my part in the affair he will be astonished and disappointed and a bit hurt in his dignity but he can't fairly resent my having helped susan after all it's his fault not mine that he's perused my few short and insignificant letters through such rose-coloured glasses that they have seemed like the utterances of a divinity it's his infatuation far more than my bungling which has magnified and idealised susan into a goddess whether he can turn the telescope round so to speak and look at susan through the other end till he sees her in all the tininess of her actual spiritual and mental stature and whether when he has seen her as she is he can still go on worshipping her all this is more his affair than mine i'll write the letter now a quarter past one it's no good if i had written before his letter came to-night i could have managed it but now that he's brought me in by name and has even discussed how he would have felt if he had been moved to make love to me no i can't write and if i could i wouldn't and i'm cold and tired and insulted and distracted and wretched i'll back to bed saturday two p m on second or twenty-second thoughts i did not choose to have a detailed conference with susan i have not so much as told her how vastly it offends me to be discussed with her as ruddington has done if i betray annoyance how can i expect a simple mind like susan's to interpret my vexation otherwise than as the acidity of an unsuccessful rival for lord ruddington's hand lord ruddington has cheapened me enough and i will not make myself any cheaper although she was stolid over it last night the letter has warmed susan into a remarkable state of expansion this morning and she was sadly crestfallen when i showed no sign of going through the document chapter and verse i took care that she should find me deep in my own correspondence so that my inattention was less pointed i simply told her that it would be a good thing if she were able to take over the ruddington correspondence herself immediately as lord ruddington had already been seriously misled failing this i gave her the following note and told her to post it or not as she pleased dear lord ruddington i am grateful for your letter 
and i am grateful to you for consenting to what you call my retreat when the retreat is over i shall not forget that i have a long letter of yours to answer meanwhile i will only beg both for your sake and my own that you will not form too high an opinion of yours very sincerely susan briggs susan did not read the note in my presence i have no idea what she will do sunday before church half my month is gone this makes the fifteenth morning since i landed in france yet i don't remember waking up once with a completely easy mind from mr john lamb onwards i have dwelt in the midst of alarms to-day shall prove whether i have any will-power or not sunday is a day of rest and i am determined to have twenty-four hours of rest from ruddington susan is very commendably docile she sees i have had enough of it and she hasn't even told me whether she posted my note or not fortunately she is making much more of a pal of georgette georgette progresses with her english marvellously she adores susan because susan never tries to utter a single syllable of french i mean to hear mass this morning at berigny georgette is taking susan to bewail once more the lack of a nice service at st veronique sunday afternoon i like the berigny papists better than the papists at st veronique barely sixty people assisted at the mass but the faith of these few twentieth-century men and women was as solid as the fifteenth-century peers and vaults that rose above our heads being english i ought to exclaim against the berigny mass house and to call its pictures and images and altars gaudy but i understood this morning that the place was first and foremost a refuge for the simple and the poor of course the austerity of our own church at traxelby suits my personal ideas of reverence better but i'm afraid that in england there may be some selfishness in our always conforming the insides of our churches to the taste of the hall or to the taste of the rector's ladies no doubt it helps the fortunate few to feel religious when they exchange the cosy richness wherein they have snuggled all the week for the big bare sternness of cold undissembled stone and the uncompromising whiteness of twenty surplices an hour and a half of it once a week corrects luxury and tones up fibres that are becoming enervated through all day long indulgence one even finds a subtle pleasure in the slight discomfort and restraint just as the man who has dined well and wined well for eleven months enjoys the fashionable hardships of a month's cure at a german spa but i wondered this morning if our church interiors are equally helpful to the poor if a contrast between the home and the church stimulates devotion where do the poor come in the only contrast they get is the contrast between a small bleakness and a big one the contrast between grey and white between ashes and snow Birigny church is a spacious warm brightly coloured drawing-room for all Birigny. not even the drawing-room at alice's with its absurd excess of water-colours and prints and screens and embroideries and statuettes and curios holds such a store of things to look at as the drawing-room at Birigny. over and above all the regulation sites of a typical french church Birigny has our lady of Birigny in queenly silver tissue and with a golden crown on her sorrowful brow from the bosses of the vaults in the aisles hang five or six fully rigged little ships votive offerings of mariners snatched from shipwreck high up on the south wall there are coloured wooden images carved in the sixteenth century such as st nicholas with a tubful of red-cheeked chubby naked babies and st anthony with his pig Birigny has both the antonies 
not far from him of the pig stands a modern statue of st antony of padua with a face like an angel's and with the holy child seated on st antony's open book and nestling against st antony's breast it would have driven him stark mad if our traxelby choir-master with his petty efficiency and trivial thoroughness could have heard the birigny organ pounding and blaring and the birigny faithful bawling credo through their noses an untuneful but hearty lad on my left sang the whole creed through in latin without a book i wonder would our traxelby youth be a shade less loutish a shade nearer to these courteous villagers of birigny if they too were taught to dip a cup in the main stream of human culture and to quaff ever so small a draught i imagine it must be the beginning of a revolution even in the humblest mind when it makes room for fifty words of a language other than its own sunday night yes i have some traces of will-power i have wanted to ask susan whether she posted my note but i haven't asked her and i have wanted to think about ruddington's letter not so much its galling references to myself as the disclosure it makes of an uncommon personality in the midst of an uncommon situation i have wanted to think about it all day even in church but i haven't yielded or at most i have yielded only a very little monday morning susan posted the letter i asked her after breakfast in a casual sort of way what she had done with it and she answered almost as casually that she and georgette posted it on saturday afternoon i could see that for some reason susan didn't want to be cross-questioned susan i said when she came into the room again how many people know anything about this affair of lord ruddington susan started whom have you told i asked again did you talk about it at traxelby oh no miss said susan almost reproachfully then after an awkward pause she added unless unless well miss i did say to gibson that that there was somebody but i didn't mention names miss and he could never guess have you said anything to georgette susan hung her head and studied the toe of her shoe a long time before she confessed georgette asked me miss asked you what georgette said have you got an ami and when i told her i didn't know what an ami was she said susan blushed and stopped go on i said an ami what did georgette say an ami was it is french for mister faltered susan georgette says it is a mister with whom one is in love what did you tell her nothing miss you were very sensible susan i said you oughtn't talk about it to any one i picked up a book but susan still loitered well i asked at length what is it please miss began susan uncomfortably i didn't tell georgette anything so you said before yes miss but georgette wanted to look at the envelope i mean the letter to his lordship miss but you didn't let her do it oh no miss then what is there to worry about susan scraped the floor with the point of her shoe and shifted about by and by she blurted georgette wanted to know if the letter was to my ami or or to yours miss i shut the book susan hurried on so of course i said he was mine miss ruddington is right susan is a wonder a gem and five times out of six a born lady 
after i had praised her discreetly and had deplored the impertinent pryings of georgette i took up the book again and told susan she might go away she went but within five minutes she was back i thought i'd best tell you miss she said when i looked up yes i didn't show georgette the address miss but she noticed the envelope wasn't come down yes yes get on i oughtn't to have done it miss but georgette went into the garden and plucked a flower and lifted up the flap of the envelope and laughed and tucked the flower inside it's a great pity susan i said that you didn't take it out again if you'd make up your mind to marry lord reddington it wouldn't matter but can't you see how foolish it will look it simply contradicts the letter asking for a week's grace yes miss said susan going redder than ever but she showed no sign of departing is that all susan i asked with a sudden fear that there was worse to follow no miss she answered faintly after we'd posted the letter georgette laughed again and said that the flower had a meaning a meaning yes miss the language of flowers miss georgette said the flower meant vang vang yes miss that's the french language of flowers miss georgette says that in english it means come before i could speak she burst out crying please miss she wept i didn't see any harm on saturday but last night when i went to bed and thought about it oh miss gertrude i'm so miserable and she cried harder than ever in the end i sent her away consoled to the extent of my assurance that i didn't blame her in the least and that the sole offender was georgette also i promised her that i wouldn't get georgette into trouble at first i felt determined to give georgette some very plain speaking in private yet how can i how was georgette to know that susan hadn't been writing a common country love-letter to some common country sweetheart what divination could teach georgette that we had been writing a superfine letter to a milord georgette simply indulged her rural playfulness and if the envelope was open for georgette to put the flower in it was also open for susan to take it out that's the devil i can't help saying it of this endless affair everybody keeps on giving me shocks and jumps and yet nobody is ever to blame not that much harm is done this time i suppose ruddington will go silly over the flower he'll kiss it and wear it next his heart by day and lay it under his pillow by night and worship it as a symbol of fresh mysticalities and exquisitenesses in his divine susan but he won't ring for the kitchen maids and request the kind loan of a language of flowers he won't so much as think of it that way even if he does he will know that it is the letter and not the flower that he must obey i wonder what flower it is that means viens monday night i have been reading reddington's last letter over again and although i began it with prejudice being still nettled by georgette's prank it has affected me strangely seen whole i know the situation is farcical it is a farce that may end in a tragedy but as ruddington sees it with the wrong notion of susan that i have helped to give him it is a most high and sweet romance all rose and gold life can be most hideously cruel better no beautiful dreams at all when there must be such an awakening and that poor lad gibson is to be soured for ever in order that ruddington may go through life with a millstone of disenchantment round his neck 
something is here for tears tuesday three o'clock ruddington remains quiet like a good boy so the flower has done no harm susan has been quite brightened up by suddenly remembering that the flower was only a french one this morning there was a wedding at st veronique i have seen country weddings in france before but this is the first one that hasn't offended me the bride was a pink and white almost english-looking girl and the bridegroom was a tanned honest handsome young fisherman when susan and i saw them it was after the wedding they were standing side by side hand in hand at a door while the guests were bustling for places at an open-air breakfast-table you could not say that they were not taking in the scene indeed they laughed more than once at the horseplay of the youths yet it was plain that while their eyes recognized friends and while their minds were lightly engaged with the outer world their spirits had built a little hidden shrine of peace never before have i seen on human faces such a serene yet delicate fullness of perfect happiness below the rattle of plates and the shouts and the laughter my ear caught a rich undersong of love in the past i have learned almost to loathe lovers when hugh came to see alice i used to wonder how she could endure him i suppose he enjoyed his courtship just as a budding barrister enjoys his obligatory course of dinners but he used to turn up more like a man who had come to tune the piano than like a man in love and i don't think i detest any one in this world more than poor maud slaney's bob heaven only knows how many millions of times he has mispronounced the word fiance these last two years and the way they go on in public is simply horrid i'd almost rather have the boorishly amorous couples who slouch on sunday nights along church lane gaping up at the grange but this month i've begun to see lovers in a less garish light the fisherman reminded me of gibson i shall be the better all my life long for having stood in the glow of gibson's splendid manliness when he thought susan was in danger ruddington poor man is quite an endurable lover too as for susan although she's so simple i haven't definitely made her out but allowing amply for her shyness and for her deference to my guidance it's rather fine to see how she hangs back from ruddington's money and rank until she feels sure she can care for him if the bulk of human love is anything like these samples i don't wonder that the world goes right round in a night and a day tuesday bedtime another earthquake this afternoon madame du poirier went to grandpont station in the hotel omnibus she has just come back madame says that when the bus drew up at the station a compatriot of mine stepped alongside and attentively perused the world's hôtel du dauphin st veronique sur mer painted on the bus sides apparently he mistook madame for a guest who was going away and he asked her very politely madame says if she knew whether mise langley and mise briggs were still at the hotel madame said yes and she is quite pleasantly fluttered at the thought of an extra guest fairly on his way hither i was too much stunned to do more than thank her for telling me i didn't even ask her what the man was like and whether he spoke to her in french or in english but i've no doubt it is ruddington i call it abominable if susan were travelling in france with her parents or even with some married woman for a mistress it would be different but this is outrageous i ought to have known that he would hunt up the meaning of georgette's flower 
a man who can read such super exquisite meanings into the half-dozen notes i have scribbled for susan isn't the sort to leave any stone unturned i can't help despising him when a full-grown educated man has such sickly rubbish as the language of flowers at his fingers ends a lady's maid is as much as he deserves what will he do i hardly think he'll descend upon st veronique till his mystical susan's sacrosanct week of retreat has expired i suppose he'll hover ridiculously in the neighbourhood like a knight keeping vigil outside a woodland oratory where his milk-white lady kneels at prayer probably there will be a mysterious succession of leaves and petals in otherwise empty envelopes a scarlet runner to mean i have come post-haste a convolvulus to mean i am still hanging on a thorny bramble to mean i suffer even the ardours of a lover ought not to burn out the instincts of a gentleman i gave ruddington credit for more decency and restraint when the week is over he will want to come here it is an intolerable position i am about to be made a fool of everybody will get to hear of it some day ought i to wire for alice no i can't if it were anybody but ruddington i could i'm like a poor hunted beast in a trap with no way to turn i have more than half a mind to pack up at daybreak and to slip stealthily back to dieppe for my promised week at the cheval d'or wednesday very early i forgot to wind up my watch i have decided not to run away three things have become clear as i have turned them over in the night first i am as good a man as ruddington if i stood up to mr john lamb i can stand up to his successors he shall either treat me with respect or be taught a lesson i am not going to run away from any one certainly not from a youth sick with calf love who babbles the language of flowers second i might as well face the fact that the gods never intended me to have a peaceful september this year how true it is that the unexpected happens when i came to st veronique twelve months ago i expected to have a lively time but everybody failed me and it was the quietest peacefulest month of my life this year i came expecting four weeks of vegetable existence and instead i am kept running and leaping and turning like a trick horse in a circus wherefore i do hereby decide not to kick against destiny a minute longer instead of staving off all this comedy and instead of hating it because it distracts me i hereby decide that it is well worth looking at and that it would be foolishness to brush aside such a human drama as i am never likely to see performed again norman villages and carafes of cider and plunges in the sea and lobster salads under apple trees can be bought for nine or ten francs a day year after year as often as i want them but a handsome virtuous learned stark mad young lord in love with a pretty honest lovable stupid lady's maid isn't a sight to be seen at close quarters every week it shall be the principal pleasure as well as the principal business of my remaining fortnight to see this play played right out third how do i know that master ruddington isn't lying peacefully at this very moment in his little white cot at ruddington towers dreaming of his susan as good as gold how do i know that the grand pont person isn't somebody else it struck me in the night that it is probably mr john lamb at the customs he looked at the st veronique labels on my boxes as well as at the cheval d'or labels on our bags i know he tumbled down the steps of the aster still believing that he had conquered susan's maiden heart and that if he could only have seen her all would have been well 
perhaps he has got together a fresh supply of francs and is proposing to wait on us with some preposterous apologies and explanations it may be that he wants me to promise that next time i am in amelia road shepherd's bush i won't give him away to phipps brothers and above all that i won't give him away to ma this morning i shall ask madame du poirier to describe him if it be indeed mr john lamb he will find me ready with the mint sauce ten a m it's a good thing that i have decisively renounced all hope of peace and quietness the postman has brought susan no flowers from Gampon, but he has brought me just the sort of letter from alice that i don't want ruddington 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 that's alice's letter from beginning to end alice has found out all about him he's richer than alice thought and prettier and nicer and i am the wickedest foolishest proudest young woman in the world for clinging on at st veronique it seems that ruddington and i were made for each other he has just my tastes alice even adds with splendid candour that he isn't the least little bit like hugh i had hardly smoothed my poor fur after alice's ruffling when susan chose to begin stroking me backwards again she said i'm thinking miss about this letter that came on friday night yes i said please miss you never told me what you thought of it what did you think yourself susan susan fidgeted about at last she answered i can't feel that it's right miss what isn't right him speaking that way miss to a girl like me it doesn't seem right i don't understand susan she fidgeted again then she said i'm afraid you'd be vexed miss it isn't my place to say it to say what well miss susan explained in instalments it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem natural for him to be courting me it's what my aunt martha used to say miss she used to say more unhappiness comes to them as marries above em than them as marries below em you mean susan i suggested that you're uneasy at the thought of such a great change in your position so you ought to be that's why i've always wanted you to look well before you leap there's a great deal in what your aunt says yes miss answered susan abstractedly and for a few moments she tried to hold her peace but it was no use a sudden torrent of warm words gushed forth and swept all restraint away oh miss gertrude she cried i can't help saying it i can't it isn't me miss lord ruddington ought to be coming after it's you miss gertrude it's you i was struck dumb yes it's you miss it ought to be susan went on when i think of what he says in his letter miss how he couldn't go making love to miss langley i could die for shame i ought to have cut off my hand before i showed you such a thing miss susan i said you mustn't talk to me like this you did quite right to show me his letter it isn't your fault that lord ruddington wrote things in his letter which it would have been better taste to leave out no miss i know broke in susan but oh miss gertrude i'm so miserable i do so wish he hadn't never seen me if i don't get married to him i shall be miserable because i've thrown away all that money and living in a grand house and being your ladyship and if i do get married to him i shall be miserable because-because it isn't natural miss oh miss gertrude 
how lovely it would have been if he'd liked you instead of me then you would have got married and gone to live at the towers and we would have come with you miss and we'd have been so happy i noticed susan's we but it was not a time for recatechizing her about gibson i cut her short peremptorily susan i said be so good as to stop you are taking a great liberty if lord ruddington has so far forgotten himself as to drag my name into his affairs that's no excuse for you doing the same i dislike it most strongly yes miss said obedient susan but she added wistfully speaking more to herself than to me it would have been lovely am i to take it susan i demanded abruptly that you have finally decided not to accept lord reddington she blushed paled blushed again but she did not answer because i added if you are still thinking it over you'd better not talk of it even to me lord reddington won't expect you to write before saturday i've given you all the help and advice i can but i don't want to influence you either one way or the other work it out in your own mind susan promised to try as she was going out something else occurred to me and i called her back susan i said kindly i don't wish to refer to it again but what you have said about myself and lord ruddington reminds me of one little point yes miss said susan his portrait one day i went into your room for the scissors i saw you had put lord ruddington's portrait in the same frame as mine yes miss they went together beautiful i shall be much obliged susan if they don't go together any longer susan shed a tear but she is going to obey now i've had enough ruffling for one morning before i interrogate madame about the creature at grand pont i mean to run down to the bathing hut and enjoy an hour's basking in the sun End of book three part five